Father, thank you for this great day. What a fantastic opportunity to worship you and praise the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May the words flow through Dean today. May everyone in this room be blessed and enriched. And may they experience the good and perfect blessings and gifts from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Steve. Told you, be, be careful if you get too close to the mic. <laughs> might give it to you. Man, it's good to be with you all today. Again, a glorious time of worship today. It was beautiful. Um, continuing our exploration fits beautifully with what uh, uh, Brant was talking about today because we are studying community right now. We're studying Christian community uh, through the book Life Together, written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in a time, um, believe it or not, even more chaotic than, than our own has been over the last year. Um, and so uh, I, I want to I begin by, by setting the tone for what I want to talk about today by um, one, one of our, our family gets into rhythms where we will like serial watch sitcoms. That's kind of what we do. We're actually going back to watch old Everybody Loves Raymond shows for some reason that's they've just been on a lot. Uh, but one of our favorite of all time that became a whole family watch, a friend of mine that I coach football with said, man, you got to watch this show, The Middle. I don't know if anybody's seen this. Um, but it's about a middle-class family in middle age in the middle of the country, literally, uh, and their kids growing up. And it's kind of funny because our kids kind of grew up watching this show as we're watching their kids grow up. So it ended up being a lot of fun. But one of the episodes that I'll never forget, they got kind of bored and tired with their church. They're literally falling, falling asleep in their own church. And uh, I think it was one of the kids, I forget how they end up there, uh, invited them to come to their friend's African-American church that raised the roof in worship, right? You couldn't fall asleep there. You're standing up and singing and all that. And uh, the first time they go, they sit there, and the pastor's sermon was titled, Get Your Business Done. And they even sung it. You can kind of picture it, Get Your Business Done. And that fired up the whole family. And so they went out you know, for the rest of the episode. They're running around, like, frantically trying to find out what their business is. Like, she's freaking out. I don't know what my business is. And then go get your business done. It, was, it ends up being a hilarious episode. But what's funny, by the, by the other end of it, they end up back in their church because they're so tired and worn out for doing all their business, they got no energy left. And so it, it becomes the comedy that their only restful day of the week is going to church and sleeping. <laughs> so the picture, though, of this, as, as comical and strange as it is, usually comedy, good comedy, is poking at something that is deeply true, Right? And so it twisted and amplifies it and all of that. But here's the reality that I notice in that is there is a balance that we need to strike between finding what is the business and purpose of our lives and doing that and engaging that and also knowing seasons and times of rest. And that's exactly what Bonhoeffer is talking about when he gets to this part of the, of the chapter of the book on what does it look like to work and what does it look like, we, we started it earlier and we'll come back to it again today, end our day in a balance of rest and rhythm and prayer and all of that. And for all of this, I'm going to go to a passage that is so practically powerful and important, and yet I have not seen it taught or preached on very many times. And so if you've got your Bibles or your devices, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, and this is Paul writing to the uh, church in Thessalonica. This is what I hate. Hold on. He's writing to a church that he had to leave in a hurry. Uh, so if you know anything about the background of, of uh, Thessalonians, these are probably some of the earliest books written in our New Testament. Paul goes there for a very short period of time. A riot breaks out, and he has to leave. 
So these letters are writing to kind of disciple a baby church, basically. And he's speaking into a, some very, very practical things in their lives. So I want to read this. And, uh, and again, here's the question again. I've got my stuff here, but, uh, but, but I want to hear from you. What do we learn here about the picture of work? God's perspective on the things we do, whether it's paycheck work or whether it's your purpose and your vision work and your mission work in your life. What do we get about, what do we learn about God here? What do we learn about uh, a God's vision of work? So um, first, uh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel shame. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a brother or sister is literally what it says. Let me read that one more time. What, what language grabs you? What picture do you get of God or people uh, and the vision God has for our work in this? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we didn't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter and do not associate with them in order that they may feel shame. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. What do you notice? Challenging and practical text here. What do you notice? Keith over here roving, and Keith over here roving. So, Jeff, you think something? Okay, <laughs> not yet.
Sorry, I've taught college students. I can wait. I can. I can wait you out. What, what do you know? <laughs> Yes, very uncomfortable. Right. Eat the uh, mic again, just so you can hear. One of the things is, I, I'm just going to think out loud here until somebody stops me. Um, the part of this, I'm reading a different translation than you. You know, you said busy or busy bodies. Right. Um, and what I see here is, uh, the, my translation says meddling. Meddling, and yes. Others use the business, right? Yep, so, yep. Um, it seems as if he's talking to folks that it's not that they're not, he wants them to work, but they're not just actively absent from actively meddling with those who are yes, working. Yes, yes. So, um, where I need some guidance is, are we talking about nine to five? Talking about what? Nine to five, or are we talking about kingdom work? Good question, good question. I, so my, my first one is I would say, we don't know. We got one half of a phone conversation here. I tend to think it, it is probably a mixture of both, right? So did you hear the question? Are we talking about you know going to work? Um, and, and honestly, as I'm preparing for this, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, some folks in our community are retired, so in some ways that doesn't apply. So I do believe, not just for applying it, but also for their community, I think part of it is certainly talking about some form of 9 to 5 work, because Paul is offering himself an example. We'll come back to that in a moment. Paul doesn't do this everywhere. In Philippi, he goes ahead and receives funds. He makes a big deal out of the effect, and by the way, certain people like me thank God for this. It's okay to pay pastors. Paul says that. He says, I've got the right to this, but in Corinth and here, he does not exercise that right. In Corinth, he says, I don't want, especially in Corinth, he's dealing with folks that are all-star rock stars like Apollos. And so he's got, he is fighting against kind of the rock star personality image of, of pastors. And Paul says, I'm not any of that. I'm just going to be a lowly servant among you here, probably partially short time, but also... I'm trying to model some things. So some of it absolutely applies to 9 to 5 work, but I think it also means much more than that. Paul understands when he is talking to a Christian community, all of us are given some task, some calling, and some purpose. Again, Brent, this dovetails beautifully with what Brent was teaching today. The God that calls us, who are we? Don't, do you know who you are? You are someone who was put on this planet for purpose and with giftedness. And to the day we take our last breath, I think we have kingdom work to do. So for me, I would say both and, right? So he's saying being diligent about this. By the way, um, you bring up something in this text. There's a couple of different words for what Paul is attacking and then what Paul is calling us to. But what he's attacking, being idle in the NIV, it uses two words to translate one word. But the second part of that, um, this meddling word, is a play on words. So in the Greek, the root of it is to labor or toil in both cases. And so um, it is a deliberate play on words, which a lot of the NIV and others will bring out. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. That's literally going on in the Greek, too. Um, other ways to say it, they're, they're not laboring, they're laborious, right? Uh, or to put it in terms of the episode I said, they're, they're, they're not doing their own business, they're in your business, right? That's literally what's happening in the Greek. Uh, so it's, it's not just that they're sitting back on the couch being couch potatoes. Um, the, the Greek word literally means to work around. They're like buzzing around the community. They're looking in your, you know, your portfolio, and they're looking at your to-do list, and they're telling you what you need to be doing, but they're not doing it of themselves, right? So that's a great question to kind of sink into what's going on. Remember, Paul left, 
and he's trying to kind of help pastor, pastorally get a church going. It's a brand new church. And one of the things, think about this, in all the things he could write about, this is a substantial chunk of a three-chapter letter to say, I care and God cares about the work and purpose that you live out in daily life. So that's a great thing to recognize. What else do you notice here? Anything. It could be a question. It could be a scratch your head. It could be a... Uh, there are parts of this I want to push back on, but it helped me then come back to, okay, what is God really saying here? Teaching things. Verse 13, uh, I like what it says, uh, never tire of doing what is good. Yes. Um, that, that should be a, a, a focus here. Yeah. Just to, to stay diligent and not get, oh, it's easy to, to get into everybody else's business. Yeah. You just tend to your own. Yep. yep, we got enough to do on our own stuff. Meets the road. Beautiful. I was thinking about what Nancy said to us this morning. It comes right out of this text. Like I'm praying like uh, kind of the, the DBS thing that several of us do. Like what, what is this saying to me? What is this saying to us right now? Um, you've got two groups of people Paul's address, and one group is, is a group of people that e either isn't doing anything or they're all about other people's business. There's another group that's, man, they got their head down and they're working and they're, and they're going at it. Paul says, don't lose your steam. Right? Don't get weary in living out the purpose and calling. That's a perfect thing for us to think about in our church right now. Nancy said it. Let me, let me step right in. I feel like you know, that what you said this morning is exactly what I think the Holy Spirit put on my heart to say to us. It's really easy in a time like this in church life to kind of say, man, I just want to coast. I just want to put on cruise control. We've done some hard work. Let's just get the next guy here and he'll, he'll do it. No, 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 no. We are called to take full advantage of the season we find ourselves in. We're not waiting for one person to come here. God's got a lot of work for us to be doing right here and right now. Whether it's on the committee of discernment or whether it's your purpose right now. We are not dependent on someone sitting in this role to be doing the work of God right in our life. We've got a lot to do. So I love that call, Nancy. It's exactly what Paul's saying. For those of you that are working, and man, don't, don't give up on that. Don't lose your steam. And we'll talk about the second side of that in the balance in a moment. So thank you, Keith, for bringing that out. Anything else that grabs you? You know, this is especially difficult because of this last year, this passage, because, um, you know, we, we were sent home. And, and while I, I worked from home a lot anyway, I also traveled. You know, it's kind of 50-50. Well, my travel was over. And so there were, there were days where I'm like, grab my phone. I'm like, Who's our football coach right now? Who, who's, you know, have they hired... Have they hired a defensive coordinator? <laughs> or, you know, man, you know, I really need to get that lawnmower fixed, so go work on the lawnmower. When I should, should have been working. Right. So there, there's that guilty, you know, idleness that you feel just because of this past year has been so weird. And it was kind of the same way when we first started right. into the pandemic with church because originally we were, on, we were, we were recorded uh, you know, I'm gonna sleep in today, and I'm gonna watch it at two o'clock. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and 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 you know, I remember one Sunday we were like, you know, we don't have any communion. Well, we got some grape jelly and we got some uh, croutons. You know, I mean, you were. It was just like, it was like you were slacking. Right. You know. Um, so I think what makes this passage so tough is the context of this past year. Yeah. And. Uh, it's so easy to say. Now, now, I think, hopefully, I hope I stayed away from the busybody part of it, but the idleness part, sure. Whew, the fingers sure. are pointing back at me. Yeah, 
And, and remember, all of this conversation, we've, we've drug it out a lot because we're looking at a bunch of different passages and I can't go fast. But remember, the big picture of what we look at in this whole chapter is the idea of rhythms. And all the more important when our rhythms get disrupted. So absolutely, Keith, when in early COVID, or I think about even last week when the snow comes, it throws your rhythm off. Now, one of the things for me I have to do is find, especially the more unstructured things are, the more structured I have to be in my own rhythm, or else I just, I, I get antsy, I get lonely, I get idle, whatever the case may be. So a couple of us that had four-wheel drives, I didn't stop coming in last week. I came in every day. That doesn't make me pat my back. I have to do that, otherwise I get out of my rhythms. Make sense? Um, so some of us find those ways of doing it when you're on vacations or those kind of things, having some structure or rhythm to life when, when life takes away our rhythms. And this is exactly what Bonhoeffer's saying. Remember, they're kind of living in secret. They're living outside of some of the rhythms of structure. And he's saying, I'm going to write a whole chapter on getting back into the rhythm of work and worship and pray and all that kind of stuff. Somebody would just talk to you. Hey, Dean. Um, you know, I went all the way to the end of this. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm looking for the mic. I'm sorry, did I? No, no, I just couldn't find you. Go ahead. <laughs> um, where it says, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Right. You know, whether it is at work or, and it seems to be a little, maybe a little bit more common in, in, in church life, there's always going to be somebody that is is getting in your ear and mainly with negative slant on things. Right, right. Um, you know, hey, this is what they ought to be doing or this is yep. what, you know, this just, you know, drives me crazy. Or, you know, and, 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 I, and I have to be careful not to buy into that negativity um, because there's, there's no future in it. There's, there's no benefit to it. There's nothing productive about it. And... Um, and I just, you know, and I think the, the part here about warn them as your brother and sister, I would hope if ever anyone sees in me something that's not productive for the kingdom. That's good. That as a brother or sister, they would feel very welcome and confident to come to me and say, don't you think we ought to look at this differently? Yes. Um, and that's just what I think we all have to be careful of is, is are we contributing something of a positive note? Or are we sitting back complaining about what others are doing? Powerful. Well, again, very, very important this time. I am so delighted to say this, Keith. Can you bring the mic down to Sally? First time in a year that our sweet sister Sally has been able to be with us. I love you. So glad to see you. I'm so glad to hear you. Well, uh, I just wanted to say that when we, when someone is trying to discourage us or when Satan tries to discourage us, we just have to remind ourselves that we serve at the Lord's pleasure. Yes. We don't serve at ours. Yes. We're serving the Lord and and he's put us here to serve. Yes, absolutely. God is the one that's called this. That's exactly what elsewhere Paul will say. When you've got the bad boss, you're not working for that boss. You're working for the other one. I think that's great. I want to go back to something Mark said, too, because this is, this is me just being honest. My first quick read of the end of this is the kind of stuff that makes my skin crawl with the way churches have done this badly in the past. Right? Let's, again... Give us permission to wrestle with the text a little bit. You're thinking about that, Bob, Bobby? Um, look, look at this one in verse 14. You correct me if I'm not, I'm not going where you want to go. Take special note of anyone who doesn't obey this instruction, this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. You want to say something about that? Well, yeah, because I, I think the point for me. 
me as I look at that is, why is anyone going to listen to me if I'm not willing to associate with them personally? Right. right. So I need, I need to have a relationship that allows me to have input in the lives of people that I may have some feelings about. Uh, maybe my mother told me never to pray for George Bush, one of my neighborhood kids, because <laughs> if I did, I would be in trouble. I would, George would take me there. Right. You know, right. And so I guess my question is, how do I balance those very things in my life I'm concerned with me about right. with trying to help others and, and maybe, you know, end up not in, a, in, in the place I need to be? Yes. Great question. Great question. So let's wrestle this out, what's going on here. Two things I would say. First of all, one of the things that struck me again and again as I studied this text, like you would think um, talking about work, talking about not, you know, meddling around and all that kind of stuff would be uh, kind of important, but not a huge deal. Like, this is a big deal to Paul. Listen to the weighty language he uses, not once but twice. How does this passage start off? In verse 6, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you to not get in the middle of the folks that are idle and disruptive, right? Paul doesn't bring those words for just anything. Can we just hear that for a moment? Like Paul's fired up about this a little bit. In the name of Jesus, he says, right? I find myself sometimes that very rarely in situations I'm talking to a friend who I can tell is being assaulted with lies from the enemy, right? I'm worthless, all that kind of stuff. There are times I call them look at me moments and I'll say, Mark, look at me. In the name of Jesus, you are a son of God, and that's not true. You know what I mean? Every now and then. Paul says, this is a look at me moment. In the name of Jesus, I'm saying, watch out for this. Wow. I mean, just for a minute, I just want to say, wow, that, that took me back for a minute. And not just there, down at the end. Um, what does he say? Um, da, 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 da. Verse 12, such people that are in, they're doing all this stuff, we command and urge. Two different, re we exhort you, we command you, we call you not to associate with it. All right, now, I can read this and then the language of uh, don't associate so they feel ashamed. This feels like old church, blow them off, stand up in front of the room, disfellowship them, that kind of thing. All right, couple of things. First of all, number one, Paul understands that me getting in your business instead of doing my business will destroy community. Let me say that again. This is so important. Me getting in your, getting all up in your business instead of me, God, what is the work you're doing in me and calling me to do in the community? It will destroy community. And he says, I got to tell you this with all urgency. All right, number one, he understands that. Sometimes I don't. I blow that off. Secondly, I think, wouldn't we forget the 2,000 years dis distance here? I don't think he's saying, be mean and ugly to them. Let's even think about what Jesus says when he's talking about rebuking somebody. Treat them as a pagan and a tax collector, right? Paul, I think, is amplifying on that in this conversation. By the way, can we just ask this question? How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? How did he? He ate with them, he loved them, he cared for them. Okay, so this isn't, and then Paul is quick to say, I'm not saying be a jerk to them. I'm not saying treat them as an enemy. He goes on to say, warn them. So how do you do, whatever don't associate means, it doesn't mean you're not somehow in their life because you gotta be in their life close enough to warn them. I take it is, there is some level, and every community has gotta discern it in its own way. But he says, 
there's some circle you don't bring them into. There's some kind of, there's some kind of, I'm not going to, you're not going to be in the middle of stuff and I'm not going to be in the middle of you. Again, part of this, we've got to work to translate to our environment because all of their churches back then are more like our small groups than they are our churches. Does that make sense? So there probably was something that said, hey, we're going to have our communal weeks worship. If you're going to be all up in the business that is not the business of God, we're going to ask you not to come to this one. And then we'll still interact and love you and treat you like Jesus did a pagan in Texas. Does it make sense? Or the way some churches do this today, they'll say, look, anybody is welcome. I love there's a church in Murfreesboro that does a great job. Anybody is welcome to any of our events, come to worship. But if you're stepping into some leadership role, you're going to be working in ministry, you're going to have to agree to certain covenants about what we understand it means to be a person of Jesus. Does that, does that make sense? Everybody applies this in different ways, but Paul is saying, don't get in bed with them. Don't dive into the middle of their, all their stuff and don't bring them into the center of your community. But be in the kind of relationship that loves them as a brother and sister that says, I'm warning and urging you, you're destroying community, you're destroying yourself. Does that make sense? Now, I think it's the principle we wrestle with, but sometimes we'll read a verse like this and people have misused this to destroy other people. That's not what the text is about. One word on the shame thing, and then, uh, then please keep speaking. I'm someone who has been crippled in my life by shame. So there is a toxic shame that will destroy my life and other people's lives. That is not what Paul's talking about. I dug into the Greek on this one again. I'm not always throwing Greek at you, but this is an important one to really dig into the word. The root of the word here, do this in such a way that they might feel ashamed. I think it's a bad translation. The word literally means to turn. Do this in such a way that they turn. Live with them in such a way that they feel the loss of community here, because we're not on the same page. Why? To beat them up? To shame them? Oh, shame on you. No, to turn them back to life. Why? Because Paul goes on to say, they're your brother and sister. They're not an enemy. Can you, can you live in such a way that turns them back to life for them and for you? Does that make sense? This is not a verse that invites people to publicly shame other folks, to publicly um, demean them, to put them down, to put them in a corner, and to turn our nose at them. Do you hear me? And I'm just saying, churches have done this to destroy other people. Paul says, find some way to interact to let them know, look, you're destroying community and we're not going to let you to destroy this community, but we deeply and desperately love you. That's a tough balance, but I think it's one that God calls us to. Yeah. Yeah, I same thing about the ashamed and I was having a problem with that so I went where it references in the uh, ESV version of the Bible that says go back to Matthew 18 15 yep. and that cleared it right up for me and I noticed that in the recovery communities as well um, there's some things we can say and some things we cannot say in some of the meetings I attend and but I can always say the building up part I yes. can always yep. guide them yep back to Jesus without even saying it because guess what actions it's not by uh, promotion it's by attraction and there's light and I've seen um, people come to Jesus Christ in yeah. some of the meetings that were not believers they were either atheists and agnostics I'm not saying it has anything to do with me right. I'm saying it was the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in some of those meetings mm -hmm. and another thing is um, in that where um, I love how Matthew says it says if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone 
and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that very charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And if he refuses to listen to them, go to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Right. But that's it. Going to be able to sit with those and meeting them where they are and seeing them like Brent Bell said in his message today. Yes. I see you. Oh, so and beautiful. if it's so to the point where it's confrontational to that extent, prayer, I, I believe it and I know it. And yep. prayer, prayer, prayer for yep. these people. That speaks volumes and goes straight up, I believe. Right. So I hear you. And to me, in these kind of moments, I've always got to check my heart a lot. Because, you know, there are many things I'm recovering from. One of the things I'm recovering from is being a know-it-all. So I really got to watch that, right, in an environment of any kind of review. Is to put myself way down here and just say, hey, can we talk about this? Does it make sense? I'm, I'm just telling you, a lot of these passages have been abused in such a way where we become like thought and doctrine police. And I, hear me, I'm all about holding to sound, clear, godly, biblical doctrine and teaching. What gets rebuked in the earlier community is more about when those things are either uh, inappropriately taught about or pushed or lived out in such a way that it destroys community. That's where I got to be watching. Is this tearing people's lives apart? Is this taking people down destructive roads with the way they're living and all that? and our community and we come with a humility that says hey i'm warning you i'm urging you brothers and sisters that we don't destroy each other that's a very different thing than being thought police that kick people out of church because people aren't checking off doctrinal boxes does that make sense so that none of this is an invitation to do some of the kind of stuff that i've seen people abuse but also i want to go back to a lot of times in grace churches we don't do anything to warn and urge so paul comes back and says look this is really important stuff this is communal life and death stuff to say, I'm going to be committed to living out the purpose and giftedness God has given me to the last day I live and breathe here and not all up in your business. <laughs> I'm just telling you how life-giving would be, that be if I got my business done and not tried to get your business done, <laughs> right? It's huge. A couple of things just to point out here. Um, this is something Richard Foster brings out, and he has a, a version, uh, well, notes, uh, study Bible notes called the Spiritual Formation Bible. And so there's some cool study notes in. I want to share this with you because step back for a moment and, and let's learn not, not just what Paul's talking about work, but how we f live the Christian life. So here's the thing. And again, this, ah, like Brent and I were just on the, love it, same page. God doesn't want us to live these impaired, broken lives, right? He wants us to grow up in Christ. That's called spiritual formation, spiritual growth, discipleship, all of that. How has that happened through the ages? How do we grow up in Jesus? We don't just show up and attend church. One of the major ways that Paul uses to grow people in Christ, in fact, I would say the central way, is by the word he uses, imitation. The way I've heard it described before, Christianity is caught before it is taught. i got to see it in the life of another person. Perfectly know, but all the way back to the one who did it perfectly, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. The things that don't look like Jesus, throw away. The things that look like Jesus, follow it. Does that make sense? And Paul will say... I am intentionally living in all the places I'm pastoring, not as Joe teacher, but as Joe modeler of the Christian life, so that he is able to say what Jesus said at the end of his earthly ministry. Remember Jesus said in John 13, he washes their feet. What does he say? I've done all this so that you might, what? Do as I have done to you. 
Jesus lived his entire ministry in such a way that all he had to say at the end is do what I did. Isn't that great? Paul didn't miss that. He lived his ministry in such a way he was able to say, talk about God the way I talk about God. Deal with my vices and struggles and sins the way I'm dealing with it and work like I work for you. So here's his, here's his picture. I modeled it. So even before we talk about what he's talking about, can we step back and say, can we learn as a Christian community this practice of imitation? I'm going to be in a group of people. We're not perfect, but we're trying to follow Jesus. And the Greek word is literally the word we get mimic from. I'm going to mimic him. Now, what does Paul say I'm, I'm modeling here? He says, we work night and day. In two different words, we labored and toiled is the way it comes out in English. And the picture he gets is working to exhaustion or painful toil. Let me say that again. Working to the point of exhaustion or painful toil. Now, don't, don't, don't just go there because some of us, that's our sin because we do that without balance. Paul is he's leaning on a point here to those who are idle. He said, look, you know when we were with you, we paid for all our own stuff, we worked for our own bread, and we worked night and day. I, the picture I get, remember in several places, Paul was a tent maker by day, and then he would do his ministry at night. So he's literally working night and day. One to pay the bills, the other to do ministry. Paul says, we modeled that for you. Let me read this from the, the study Bible, uh, Richard Foster. Paul unabashedly uses the principle of imitation repeatedly in his writings because he knows that on its most fundamental level, this is how spiritual formation and growth work. This is how it happens. The formation of habits even holy habits, comes only by imitation until they become our own. Isn't that true? If you learned how to play an instrument, you, imi you imitated somebody first. I guarantee it. You learned how to play sports. I've told you many times before, I had Sports Illustrated covers of Laker guys shooting, and I would shoot like magic. Or I would try to shoot like Kareem. That was never going to happen. I'm really short, right? But I would, I would literally... I would try to do what Jordan did with a basket. Whatever you learned, I promise, you imitated somebody first until you developed your own style. That's exactly what we do in Christ. Can somebody, can we commit to being a spiritual community that there, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, there is always somebody that's ahead of you in the way, and there's always somebody that's coming along. Can we bring people along in the way of Christ? Isn't that cool? And part of what we imitate, don't say, I can't do this because I'm not good enough. That's what we imitate. Paul's the first one to say, I don't have it all together. I'm confessing this. Here's my brokenness. Man, if we had more Christian leaders who are modeling brokenness and vulnerability, how different would we be? Yes? So I think this is an important thing, even separate from whatever the issue is. He's talking about work here, but he could talk about passion for the gospel. He could talk about spiritual disciplines. He could talk about any number of things. Does that make sense? Thoughts on that? Yes, Dave. I was just thinking about the broader context of uh, where Paul is and what he's addressing. He's already written a first letter to the Thessalonians, yep. which sounds very different than the second one. Yeah. Um, he's writing 20, 25, 30 years after uh, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Yep. He's preached a gospel of Jesus coming soon, Jesus coming soon. Um, there's a sense in Thessalonians that they already they thought Jesus had already come back or yeah, they right. they you know and um, I'm just thinking of the, the, that that broader context 30 years after Jesus 
And then we're in even a broader context. We're 2,000 years after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the promise of I will return soon. Right. Um, it can be really easy to lose focus on the kingdom message, the, the gospel message. In, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was just hammering on, yep. I am preaching the gospel. I am preaching the yep. gospel. Imitate me in preaching the gospel. Yep. Preach about Jesus, preach about Jesus, preach about Jesus. Yep. The further we get away from uh, the epicenter, so to speak, the easier it can be for us to lose focus. And when we lose focus on Jesus, if we lose focus on preaching the kingdom message and being about bringing the kingdom daily, daily, daily into the lives yes. of our community, then we do begin to worry about some of these other things that Paul seems to be addressing here. That's beautiful. That's and beautiful. so that's one thing that was coming to my mind is just, Wow, is, how easy is it to lose focus yes. on what's important and what is the driving part of who we are and what we are to do? We want to hit cruise control, and that doesn't work with any growth in our life. If we go to cruise control, we will, we will diminish and not grow up. The other thing, we're, we need to wrap up pretty soon, but, but what, what I bring out of it, Paul, even if you compare First and Second Thessalonians, I love that, Dave, Paul is modeling growth there. You know, some liberal and progressive scholars will say, well, Paul didn't write Second Thessalonians because it sounds different than First. Let the man grow. Like he, Yes, he's inspired, but he's growing in Christ. No, they're in a different circumstance, and so is he. So he is modeling growth even in the first two letters. I love that. A couple things uh, to drop in from Bonhoeffer, and then we'll, we'll let go here. Um, there were some beautiful things here. So on, on page 69 and 70, one of the things he said, look, we, we did this whole section where you start the day with giving it to God and prayer and all that. But he says, and remember, he's talking to pastors in training. He said, the bulk of the day is going to work, so don't sit there and pray your day away. <laughs> this is really interesting, right? Don't, don't do all this religious stuff as a way of getting out of actually doing some hard work God's called you to do. So let me read this. Praying and working are two different things, he said. Prayer should not be hindered by work, but neither should work be hindered by prayer. That's a challenging thought. Just as it was God's will that man should work six days and rest and make holy day in his presence on the seventh, so it is also God's will that every day should be marked for the Christian by both prayer and work. Prayer is entitled to its time, but the bulk of the day belongs to work. And yes, I know you can pray without, throughout the day and do all that, yes, but he's just talking about it in a very simple sense. The bulk of the day belongs to work. And only where each receives its own specific due will it become clear that both belong together. That's interesting, isn't it? So, so let's not like become over pious and say, we're just going to pray, you know, everything. Well, yes, pray and then get off your butt and do something, <laughs> right? Um, I, I heard it said sometime that when, if you look at Jesus, when he said, ask, seek and knock, the third one, we ask God, we seek for God, but knock involves you doing something. And so quite often, I ever got this years ago, a guy said this, quite often God will invite you to be part of the answer to your own prayer. You ask, you seek, but you might have to go knock before God opens the door to the next thing you're doing. I think that's a, that's a powerful thing. The other thing he says, and this is, he always takes us to kind of a deep place that I want to say, okay, let's just let the Holy Spirit um, apply what he means by this. But he says, part of, what, part of what working does is it throws us into the middle of the messy world, right? It's easy to kind of pray and keep ourselves distant and disconnected from the brokenness pain in the world. But he says, um, prayer plunges, plunges us into the world of things. Isn't that great? But he says, what will happen when we do that? We will begin to see the God who is behind all things. And if we're praying and then we're going out and working in the everyday world, we will see God in the back of all work. Here's a couple of quotes. Finding the you of God 
behind the it of the day's work is what Paul means by his admonition to pray without ceasing. Finding the you of God that's behind this this generic everyday thing uh, of work is what he means. Thus, every word, every work, every labor of the Christian becomes a prayer. Can't you hear Albert saying it right now, right? Every word, every work, every labor of the Christian becomes a prayer, not in the unreal sense of a constant turning away from the task that must be done, but in a real breaking through the hard it of work to the gracious you of God. That's deep, but isn't that good, right? Prayerful living out the story in the life of Jesus doesn't mean we, we, we float above the, the riffraff of everyday work. No, we dive into it, and you find that God's right in the middle of all that messy, crazy stuff. God even shows up in accounting. <laughs> he shows, I'm just picking. God shows up in, in boring lawyers, writing wills and stuff. I will never forget the day when a friend of mine wrote a will, You've, some of you heard me say this before, for a lady who was going to jail, and she had to write a will before she went there for all the reasons you can imagine. She didn't have a whole lot of money. He wrote the will for free for her. And instead of just writing a will, we gathered in that room with her and her husband and prayed over this woman as she was about to go into that difficult season of her life. And I thought, this, the you of God broke through the it of will writing. If God can do it with a will, he can do it with anything else. Does that make sense? So I invite you to think about that. Brother Lawrence's classic book talks about, and you can peel potatoes to the glory of God and the presence of God. If we can do that, we can do that with a lot of things. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for inhabiting every aspect of our lives. And I thank you so much for the incredible practical wisdom that we find when we come to Scripture. You remind us that it's not just deep theological things that can divide us as human beings. It also can be the way that we choose to not work or get involved in work that is not our business. But thank you for caring so much about the life and the harmony and the unity of your spiritual community that you will speak into the most ordinary moments of our lives. And Father, I pray that whether our work is in retirement years, thinking about what our purpose and giftedness is now, or whether our work is just beginning in the classic sense of that word, Father, show us today and this week what it means to to pray and to connect with you and then dive right into the everyday world where you are present just as much as you are in this room. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray.